1: Cover three on a Tuesday, guys. Hey, National Signing Day is only 10 weeks away. And as a college ball fan, you know you should follow recruiting year-round. It's the lifeblood of the sport. But we know a lot of y'all kind of slack. You know, good March to August, maybe not doing it. September, maybe a couple of y'all pick it up. Let's have a crash course. Let's bring on the best in the business in college ball recruiting. That's from 24-7 Sports. Clockwise on my screen. I've got Steve Wiltfong, our National Director of Recruiting at 24-7. Steve, what's going on, man? Hey, guys. Happy to be here on Cover 3. Absolutely. Really appreciate you all coming on. Continuing clockwise, that's Coop Tagna, National Recruiting Analyst for us. Coop, what's up, man? How we doing, babe? Doing well, man. Good, Good to be well. back, bud. It's been a while since our uh, our, our lunch break, huh? It, it has been, man.
2: People thought we, we looked almost the same. So <laughs> I, I like you grew, you grew it out of, up top a little bit. This is a nice
1: setup you got there in, in the office, man. I, I appreciate it, man. Trying to differentiate, you know? No doubt. I, I missed the records in the background, though. That, those were gold. I know. Those were I I gold. know. and then then finish it up we have andrew ivins our our national director of scouting for 24 7 sports Go on man
0: not much just glad to get the call to be on the cover three no
1: doubt man this this is gonna be a fun chat today so
3: he's lying about the not much he's putting out some new rankings tomorrow man he's pretty busy uh or excuse me it's only tuesday putting out new rankings on thursday so be locked in on 24 7 sports for that
1: you guys, it, it is the time of the year. Like, you really should pay attention to it all year, but you really, really got to pay attention to it down the home stretch here. because this is when the programs are kind of made or break this time of year. Uh, Will Funk caught, caught the whip around this morning and enjoyed that. I know that uh, that Coop and Ivan's just recorded their uh, college ball recruiting podcast, as Coop has in the background. Looking forward to listening to that later in the day. I, I want to start today with the team that's number one in the polls. They've been number one in the polls for well over a year now. They're also number one in the 24-7 sports college ball recruiting uh, team rankings. And that's Georgia. Steve, all those to you first. Is this number one with a bullet? Does anybody have a chance to catch them?
3: I think it's sewn up. I I would think that Georgia will take this all the way to the finish line and finish with 24-7 sports number one recruiting class. I think this might be like Kirby Smart's fourth number one class. I'm losing track. But there was a time where Nick Saban – had like nine in a row and and coach smart was went from like three to two to one and 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 finally unseated that and starting to see the what what happens when you get the number one class in the country you start winning the national championship and uh, they've recruited well they've developed well and that track record is allowing them to continue to recruit at a high level but they take nothing for granted I mean it starts with coach smart he's very Uh, dedicated to the recruiting efforts of the program. And that's not just getting on the phones and talking to top targets. It's making sure that their evaluation process is buttoned up, challenging the coaches to take the best players that they can take, being involved in that film study and them collectively deciding who has the traits to play at Georgia, not just physically, but mentally. So a lot goes into their process of why they not only land great players, but then they're able to uh develop them because they're just so thorough with their process
1: guys who would you say georgia fought the toughest battles with this year as far as like opposing schools they have a lot of you know four and five stars in their classes is is there a school that in in your mind you can recall that like they came up against a lot
3: you know i mean I, i think it's the standard the standard uh status quo guys right you know Dylan Rayola, their quarterback commit, one time committed to Ohio State. Ellis Robinson, Jaden Riddell. They had Alabama on their short list. Jaden Riddell is also looking heavy at Tennessee. They've been running into Oregon a little bit more with uh, their protege, Dan Lanning out west. You know, there was a time where I thought Justin Williams, maybe the top linebacker in the country, was an was an Oregon lean, uh, but he's 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 headed to Georgia. Those are the the top players in the class, you know, they probably went toe to toe with Tennessee quite a bit as, t- as Tennessee tries to elevate their program, right? You know, they were on the cusp th- of, of of making that next step. You know, right now they're in that New York six territory knocking on the door of college football playoff. But with the way they're recruiting with the uh, top 10 class last year, another potential top 10 class this year, they're trying to bust through the door. And with that, they're running into head to heads with with uh, Georgia, and they're winning some too, you know. So it's exciting if you're a Tennessee ball fan with with their trajectory and the way that they're recruiting on the trail.
0: Cooper, I, I think, think there's,
1: there's. Oh, sorry. Boy, go I, ahead.
0: I think there's been a little bit more more parity, right? I mean, we're in the we're in the NIL era, and you know, you have some some fan bases of schools that haven't haven't reached that that glory in a while, and I think that creates a situation where you know Georgia might not get the guy that it would seem like they should get right so you know not only is, is georgia trying to balance their 85 man roster in terms of of talent but you got a whole nother element kind of essentially with a a salary cap i mean i think with georgia you look at the past two years anyone that supports that program i mean they've they've donated x amount of dollars now you have have schools out there that are you know going to do whatever it takes to play for a national title so i think that's an added element in all this and, and Georgia's still getting the best of the best, but you know, you look at their recruiting class and it's, it's a really, really good recruiting class. I mean, they have two top two, four, seven quarterbacks committed. They have one of the heaviest and, and biggest offensive lines ever assembled. They call it the great wall of Athens. They got three running backs that are on my freaks list, but look at a position like safety, right? It's like, how are they going to finish there? Uh, KJ Bolden's a guy that they've been on from the jump. Uh, committed to Florida State. You know, Auburn's been another school that they've, they've gone head to head with. So I think it's a little bit different in that sense. You know, there's some battles that have, the, the tides have changed. It, w- it wouldn't have been like this maybe five years ago, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, I, I will say, I think Georgia would have a higher rated recruiting class pre NIL than they do now. You know, which might be crazy to some people out there listening to, to this right now, but it's, you know, it's, I mean, I think about like the Nykar situation, how that happens, Nykar going down to Miami, right? And that's kind of what Georgia's in the middle of right now. Ellis Robinson, also in the middle of Miami, they they got to go to Texas to go get a guy like Joseph Jonah, John They've invested heavily in the offensive line. I mean, these are big wins. Andrew and I have talked about it, but when it comes to, if you want to call it balancing the books, if you want to make it that black and white, it's like, What do you want to invest in you want to invest in your quarterback they got the number one quarterback in the country you want to invest in your corner spot they got the number one corner in the country you want to invest in your offensive line they arguably have the best unit there in terms of putting that unit together and they have pass rushers all over the board so i think they're they're going to be smart i think you're going to see teams going forward you're not just going to be able to throw the whole lot one through 25 and say hey we're going to take the best players in the country. You're going to have to be pretty selective with your spending. I think Drew brings up a great point with the salary cap. It's going to be more of a mix and match, and then how do you fill in the blanks from there?
3: Well, if you're talking about Georgia or schools like Ohio State, um, schools of that magnitude, the one wall that they maybe run into in the NIL field is like, we love this player, but the price that he's getting from a couple other programs If we paid him that, he would be this number player paid on our current roster. And we cannot have that. We're competing for the national championship. That guy's going to be an early round draft pick. Like he can make that money here, but he cannot make that money here on day one. (laughs) You know, like it's so that so maybe that's going to level the playing field in college football. It's going to be an interesting dynamic. But to your point, Cooper, uh, pre and yeah, I mean, this this. This, uh, you know, Williams Winery is a guy that, you know, does he end up at Georgia if NIL is not in play, you know? And uh, that's no disrespect to, you know, Mizzou, who obviously is 5-1 and and having a great year and a lot of excitement around their program. But certainly NIL was an element in his decision. And uh, Georgia can only go to a certain level sometimes unless – they're okay with saying to their locker room, "Hey, man, there might be a true freshman making more than you."
1: Wait, which obviously, I mean, you, you got to balance the locker room chemistry. It, I, I guess, it's safe to say that given the class sizes are a, a little bit smaller than they used to be, because most teams, even Georgia this year, we, we saw they took three or four kids in the transfer portal, including a couple at receiver. You just don't have quite as as many spots to give out as you used to. Like gone are the days where a school, for the most part is taking that 30 or, or 32 or 35 high school players. Like, it, I mean, this is the number one class, but it's, it's just because of the changes in the sport, not, not necessarily any fault of Georgia. Like, it's not, like, the number one class of all time, obviously. Like, like you know, we're achieved maybe four or five years ago, right?
0: Well, I I don't want to push, like, completely back on that, but I think the NCAA and everyone wants to talk about the photo shoots, but them coming out and essentially eliminating the counters. Like to me, that gets my mind churning a little bit because I think now you can get a little more creative with what you want to take on the back end of your class. And some schools are going to have way more of a luxury than others, but for Georgia, they can take some calculated shots and Hey, if it doesn't work out, I mean, you can essentially push that guy right outside the building and you just got to get down to 85 guys. So yeah, the transfer portal. Absolutely. Uh, you know, that is that is going to be uh, Georgia bringing in those two wide receivers. You know, they hadn't really brought in any transfers prior to that this this past winter. Um, and I think everyone's still kind of kind of figuring out how to how to balance it. But my my big theory or not theory is like transfer portal, free agency, right? NFL draft. That's your high school recruiting. And if you look at the teams in in the college football playoff conversation, There's been a balance of both of that, right? And a lot of them are developing in-house. Like, I don't think the high school recruiting is really going to go anywhere.
3: You guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but everyone likes to always pin things on the NCAA when they basically just enforce the rules that are put in place by the conferences, right? So when photo shoots are eliminated, there's I live in Indianapolis. There's nobody at the NCAA in Indianapolis that gives a damn whether there's photo shoots or not. Like, this was a rule that was brought to them to govern. Like, uh, so counters, that's a thing that was brought to them, I would imagine, by college football coaches that wanted to be able to have more leeway with their roster. That's my perception of it, am I right? And so these rules get passed. And then everyone uh, takes a dump on the NCAA and they're just the governing body. These are the rules you gave us. I mean, like, so uh, no photo shoots. Look at the, look at the conference, look at the coaching staffs, look at the, look at the head coaches, you know, and, and and the ADs and and the school presidents that help influence these rule changes. They're the ones that are fixing counters. I'll never forget being at the personnel symposium, uh, the first one ever in Nashville and you know these terrific off-field recruiting staffs are there coming together sharing ideas and they actually brought in a couple people from the NCAA to sit on the stage so they could ask them some questions and one of them was like why can't I go on the road and recruit ask your head coach man you know tell your head coach to send that up to the ladder get that in place get you on the road you know these are we they just govern the rules 100%.
1: 100%. I, I, I want to throw it back to something that, uh, that, that Coop and Steve said, which was like that which positions are, are being prioritized you know, by Georgia, but also by, by your best recruiting programs. How much of that prioritization out of high school do you think is sort of a reaction to, hey, I, I can generally find this in the portal, but I can't find that. So I better emphasize where my spending goes out of high school at these certain positions. I mean, I, I go to offensive line. Just look at the quality of the offensive line this year in the portal. Like if you miss recruiting high school offensive line, uh, it has been challenging to, to find answers who can play at that super high level.
2: I think that's a great question and probably something we don't talk about enough. But, I mean, you think about the same positions that are being prioritized at the high school level. They're being prioritized in a oversaturated transfer portal. I've gotten calls from my days when I was at Washington two years later about players that couldn't hack it for us in Seattle from programs I never thought in a million years would snip these type of guys, but they need bodies, right? And you're talking about it like, bud, you talked about the class size. Georgia is already at 26 commitments. Here's who they have left at their board. Ryan Wingo, one of the best players in the country, top 10 player. Aiden Breland, top 10 player in the country. LJ McCray, one of the best players in the country. Cam Michael. From Georgia, and I'm probably missing one or two. Well, it's if bad. those this guys
3: coming coop, so there'll be some new. Well, well what I'm saying is if
2: those guys want to come, they're coming, they're taking them. And you only have 85 guys on scholarships. Think about that, right? you're going to have a 30 person plus signing class. and it kind of perpetuates this cycle, Well, who's leaving? right? Georgia's got to get to 85 at the end of the day. That's their number. That's their bottom line. So in terms of what you're seeing in the transfer portal. How many Bear Alexanders are there, right? How many uh, Johnny Cornelises are there? Walter Rouse, there's not a lot, right? So, yeah, I think those guys you're seeing really at the transfer portal level, these guys are getting paid and they really haven't done much either, right? But uh, it's not also for the point of, hey, I'm trying to invest and trying to get a starter return on investment. Sometimes you just need that quality depth or a body if you feel like you have the team that can compete for a college football playoff. So, I think we're seeing the oversaturation of the portal and and by result it's almost creating a little bit of a boom for the players in the portal because they are guys that are getting overinvested in that really haven't done much already because teams are that kind of desperate to fill those spots.
1: Well with with
0: you know Georgia right you you asked the the premium positions uh, any offensive tackle that has played what 400 snaps is going to have no short of, a, of options, regardless if that's at the FCS level, you know, the Group of Five level, or or the Power Five level. I think talking about Georgia's number one ranked class, we just said it's the largest group that's been assembled in the SEC in the past five years. Everyone is over six foot five, and everyone is over 320 pounds. I think, and I'm convinced there was a conversation in Athens. right we want to hoard the mass, and I think. The folks in Athens also realize, hey, it's not this 2024 recruiting cycle. It is not a strong year for the corner protectors. I mean, this is a really, really down cycle. Right now, we just have one five-star offensive lineman. I think there's only three in t- our top 64. So what does Georgia do? They go around the country, they get the biggest guys, and they get them committed, and they're they're going to sign them, right? They're hoarding the mass, preventing other schools from going and getting those bodies, so... I think schools are operating like that. You know, quarterbacks, obviously, you're going to want to take one every year. But you talk with some group of five programs, some other programs. I mean, if you don't get your top, you know, one of your top three quarterback targets, you can just go get that guy in the transfer portal, wide receiver. I mean, you turn on any game on a Saturday, there's likely a transfer wide receiver making an impact. So I think it's corner. I think it's offensive tackle. And I think it's pass rushers. It's the same premium positions you're seeing on Sundays are the ones that these guys are are going after uh you know to play on Saturdays
1: Steve you mentioned the NCAA I last was it last week or two weeks ago uh, the, the news broke that they're considering doing away with photo shoots for unofficial visits so there was kind of a, like a bifurcation of, of reaction a lot of people were like this is really dumb what, what's the NCAA going to do and Almost everybody who we know who works in college sports, specifically in recruiting, had a different reaction. Can you kind of explain like, why the, that the NCAA did away with this? Like basically why the schools told the NCAA, we don't want this anymore and, and why the reaction was so strong?
3: Well, I think it's just, you know, an in-house inconvenience to do them so often. And those photos are professionally done and sent back to the kids oftentimes. And so it's a it's a lot of legwork. Now I'm I think they'll still put the jerseys out and let kids take them on their own phones, you know, and think I think that'll still be an element to the process, but there was a lot of time spent and and uh money put into those photo shoots. Um I was at a Saturday Night Live at Oregon a couple years ago. Uh music's blaring. Photo shoot. I mean, it was great energy. It was cool. I mean, like you have a couple of those a year. Awesome. But when teams are going on the road with their seven on seven programs, just taking these mass college visits, these bus tours, those photo shoots and getting those photos returned or you're going to let down a contact or a coach. I mean, that's just a lot of That's just a lot of added responsibility that doesn't bear much result.
2: Yeah, I think it's, it's more time spent, value received, right? Like I, I could tell you at Oregon, I, we never lost sleep. The personnel department that you know, I operated, both those programs, I never lost sleep about roster construction. We had a plan in place. We knew what we were going to do. We had to go out and we had to execute. The stuff I lost sleep about was the, these photo shoots. And here's the thing. If you don't have a director of on-campus recruiting, not every program does. It's different, right? It stretches the bandwidth of the people that are already there. And for somebody that got into player personnel now to have to put an itinerary together for an unofficial visit where really the most important part of this visit for some prospects is this basically photo shoot where it's going to take half an hour to get ready. It's going to take another 45 minutes to take pictures. Then what you're going to do, it's a copycat league. Right. So the moment Mario Cristobal and his staff welcome a prospect off the elevator and they got blowhorns and all that crazy stuff, everybody else feels like they have to do it because nobody has originality. And very few coaches out there are going to say, you know what, that's stupid. That's a waste of time. We're not going to appease that. So everybody else copies everybody else. And then everybody's saying, hey, there's two hours in our day where we're appeasing this guy that we have on our board that we're not even sure we're going to take him. But if we don't do this, we're not going to have a shot. So you think about all those people and it, it, it doesn't just affect your director of player personnel, your director of on-campus recruiting. It impacts your coaches. It impacts your creative designers and it impacts your equipment room. It's not efficient. you know. So they'll have the players out there in, in the society, in the world that we live in. They want this and they needed to get it done. I'm okay with that, but you got to wait till your official visit. They also changed the rule that you can take more than five OVs, right? So if a player of that caliber is somebody that you want, then you appease them on the OV, this stuff during the unofficial visits. I mean, it starts as soon as there a, a freshman or walks in your door and says, Hey, I want a photo shoot. And you're sitting there wondering what am I doing? Right. And that's a lot of the nights you go home, you put your head on the pillow. What the hell did I even do today? And that's people just- wonder, Hey, why is there burnout? Why are guys leaving? Why are guys going to work in the media? Stupid stuff like that. So I'm glad they changed it. And, you know, every personnel guy or every creative person out there should be happy that they did change it. For once, they finally listened, you know, and it was a, a bad investment in time, uh, in, in my opinion. Obviously, I'm very passionate about it because I used to work
3: in it. And I just thought it was very, very silly. I just feel like over the course of cover and recruiting, prospects are just on campus so much more now than they used to be. That There's just so many more visits taking place. and. At the you know at one of the conferences or symposiums, it was a, a high-profile Big Ten school that was like, "This is your fourteenth time here. You want to just show me around today?" <laughs> you know, I mean like, it's. It, it,
0: well, it. I'll add this, and and Cooper kind of brought it up. I mean, how many assistant coaches did we see go to the NFL this this off season? Like that was at an all-time high. We want to talk about the fatigue, and. The stress these guys are going through I mean it's 365 days a year every hour I, I I think that was contributing to it so if you're a fan of college football right you want good coaches in the sport let's put some guidelines in here to alleviate some of the stress and and make it easier the other thing and I'm not trying to sound like the no fun police here but you talk with personnel people when kids get on campus what's the number one question what can you do for me in nil right what 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 can you pay me what what can you guys do what 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 can you guys set me up with? And the sport is getting so much more professionalized in that sense. so if that's the case, I mean, why do we need to spend four hours doing a photo shoot? you know I, I'd be trying to get those guys and, and Cooper has said this in the past, put them on a whiteboard, right? let's let's chalk talk you know if if this is turning into professionalized like the NFL, do you think on? When when prospects go on NFL draft visits, they're doing photo shoots. Absolutely not! It's an interview. So I I, I just kind of see it through that lens, right? It's changing. You know, we don't need to wine and dine and, and and do all this stuff because it's really taken away from the the product and it's it's affecting everyone in that building. So I think that the average fan they think it's the NCAA or 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 the schools saying, "Hey, no, no fun here," but but really it's it's something that. I mean, you guys are at the personnel symposiums, like that was the number one conversation back to back years, just getting rid of these photo shoots. And that's the one thing I will say,
2: like we talked about top 30 visits, right? Like in in an ideal world, that is the way that you would design these visits going forward. You want the bag. It's a mutual interview now, right? This is a partnership. You better prove to me that you are worth the investment. Now we're willing to pay you X, maybe that's more than school Y and Z, but listen, You're going to have to come earn it on this visit, and we got to make sure that we know what we're investing in. And I think that's a good way to protect yourself, and I think that whole way, that perception that we look at visits has completely changed. These guys are not going to be treated as teenagers anymore with photo shoots where you're trying to get them a graphic every week to keep them happy before a game. It's a business, right? And it's cut and dry. It's more about the 85. It's black and white. And if you're not returning that investment, you're getting pushed out, right? We're talking about Georgia with a potential 30-person class here, right? So I think these are some of the things that are going to be a rude awakening for players and the people around them over the next four to five years. I think you're going to see college football kind of drastically
1: change and kind of gravitate in that direction. I think it's also important to remember, like, it's not just the Georgias and the Ohio States and the USC's who get the say with the photo shoots. Like, can they afford to do them? It, yeah. I mean, it's a pain in the ass for them, but like financially it doesn't drain them. It. It, co- it could cause some burnout, which makes you have a lesser quality of a person in that role because the guy who, you know, I mean, you, you paid him to do it, but like, he's still tired of doing it after a couple of years, but your all, all your max schools, all your kind of like bottom half ACC schools, a lot of your big 12 schools, like could they afford to do it? They can still afford to do it, but it does stretch them a little bit more to have to constantly have you know, photogs on staff and, you know, graphic guys on, on on staff every single day over the summer, right? Like every time a bus tour, as Steve mentioned, comes on, like that kind of cost does add up. And then you're not only doing it for the prospect who you may not even want. You probably got to do it for who's two buddies who you definitely don't want, right? Because you don't want to offend the kid who you actually do want. And like, then all of a sudden it compounds what? and then the parents get in on these photo shoots too. It, a lot of it is like, they want a rule to be able to point to say, hey man, we wish we could do that, but like the NCAA says we can't. Like they, they that's why. I mean, to me, why they're so happy they passed it as a rule, because now they don't have to try to compete to do that. Yeah, they don't want to be
2: the bad guy at the end of the day. Yeah, it's really what it is, right? The NCAA can come out there and say, hey, here's a rule in place. We can't have it a can't have a photo shoot until your official visit, and it guards those guys. That rule should be in place, right? So this is something that I think should have happened. A while ago and then the cat kind of got out of the bag it got a little bit of crazy and now they they've had to put the genie
1: back in the bottle guys we're gonna take a quick break got to pay some bills when we come back we're gonna highlight two prospects we really like and then we're gonna take a little live A from everybody who's kind enough to join us today uh, for lunchtime how
3: did i not know fraser
1: is back oh dude i you mean you gotta watch us on youtube we we talk about the fraser promo like every single time
3: so when Frazier, well when he did his first show spinning off cheers they had the you know they had ted Danson and those guys come back i oh, hope they do that again
1: i think we're gonna have danny rank all the uh paramount plus shows that we promo because like there's some that have been really bangers and there's some that are more for kind of a Let's put it charitably, a select audience. And Danny usually has some interesting comments on them. So we'll have to look at Danny top 10 on on these when he comes back. All right. We talked about the scarcity at the offensive tackle position uh, this year. It's not a great crop of tackles, So if you get a good one, it's almost like that that much more valuable relative to the market. I know, Coop, you wanted to highlight a guy in Andrew Sprague, offensive tackle out of Kansas City. Who's committed to Michigan? I know Michigan fans are, are really excited to have him. What why should they be so excited?
2: Well, I think you you look at what Michigan's done at the offensive lineman position. I mean, I think Joe Moore Award the last two years, right? So they've been fantastic in that area. I think this kid from a raw trait standpoint, he's six eight and a quarter. He's 295 pounds. He's got a six foot eight plus wingspan. But the way he moves, he's a two-way player. I like him a lot. He's light on his feet, good. Good, quick twitch body quickness and you can tell from a technique from a footwork standpoint he's got a ways to go Um, but in terms of where he's going in that fit I like it a lot and I think the raw athleticism this is a guy that we are going to see in San Antonio at the All-American Bowl we always talk about the importance of these postseason events this is a type of guy to me he's got like potential top 32 clay I'm gonna stop short of that but if he goes out there has a really good week This is a guy that could climb the board very quickly. Andrew talked about the scarcity within the top 32, really within the top 64. These big bodies, you give them a lot of leeway. They're really hard to find. So once you have a combination of the size and the athletic clay, that's kind of what gets you excited. And you watch this guy's workout in Kansas City last spring. He's got everything you want for a guy that size to be able to bend and react the way that he does and be able to recover at the second level. And then not to mention... The defensive snaps, they get you a little bit more and more excited. So this is a guy that I can see really kind of working his way up the board. He's tough. He's physical. He's nasty. He's got some raw traits that can be developed. It's just whether or not that's going to happen or not. So his senior year has been a really good indicator of what we want to see. Now, the postseason event for him, it's almost like the senior bowl, right? It's your last-ditch effort to kind of move up the board. I'm excited. That's going to be good on good. That's going to be a huge environment for him to impress. But in terms of what he's done as a senior, I think Michigan's got a long-term potential left or right tackle. Either side, we'll see what he adapts to. But he's he's a what you want, and he's kind of built for that team in that conference.
1: Cooper, you mentioned the two-way, and and also with the prospects who are that big, we know like sometimes they take a little bit longer to develop. Like like that's a lot of body to have to be able to coordinate. How important is it for for you guys when you evaluate prospects to see them multiple times, to see the progression, you know, from that sophomore to junior to senior year, especially with the big guys? It's important. I mean, we talked about the Player Personnel Symposium in Nashville,
2: um, and one of the reoccurring themes of that discussion there in Nashville from personnel directors is the importance of senior tape, right? And I think if you are a program that is doing your due diligence on the senior year, you can find yourself and put yourself in a position where you can capitalize where other people may not. I, I, you know, I think a Georgia Tech, Brent Key, Eric Singleton out of Georgia, nice find that they kind of had late in the cycle there. There are many other uh, examples that you could go through. Troy Fatanu, who we had at Washington, right? We studied his first four games of the season. He had a volleyball background. We knew he had guard tackle versatility, but it wasn't until we saw him against nolan smith who went to georgia was a five-star recruit got drafted in the first round by the philadelphia eagles that we said okay green light we gotta go right so the senior tape tells you a lot and the biggest thing that you want as an evaluator is is that arrow pointing up as a player plateaued or are they taking a step back right so when we get into this rankings process next this week you know with our movement and what we see the first four five six games of the season it's basically telling us hey before these guys go to college, whether they enroll in the winter, the spring, the fall, whatever it is, do we feel like these guys are bound to take another leap at the next level? And the good thing that I get excited about about Sprague, there's a lot of big bodies in this class, really at Georgia, right? That we could talk about that need to be melted down. They're 330, 340, 350 pounds plus. I like the guy that you build up. And when you got a six foot eight guy who's a lean frame at 295 pounds, probably going to play at at, at 320, that gets me excited, right? That means he's going to be able to maintain his athleticism. So um, the two-way snaps, the other thing that you mentioned, the more they can do, the better, right? More evidence of these guys as athletes moving in space, playing with conviction. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a, a little bit of a rundown of what we're looking for, but I think the senior tape is absolutely vital, not only in our process, but if you're a team out there in a program, they're still scouting all the way through. Their classes might be at 25, 26 but they're looking for that one or two guys that maybe
1: other teams are overlooking. Ivan, I know you got a guy different position who you're really excited about. And that's DJ Lagway, Florida quarterback commit out of the state of Texas. What, what do you love about Lagway? And you know, more specifically, how have you seen him involved as a player?
0: Well, he's improved significantly from his sophomore season to his junior season. Now here, to As a senior, I mean, coming into the year, he was under 60% as a passer. He had a 10-10 and 10 record as a starter. Fast forward to the 12th grade year, he's 7-0. and He has thrown 36 touchdowns to just four interceptions. And more importantly, he's now completing just over 70% of his passes. He's also improved his yards per attempt. It was hovering around eight his first two years at the varsity level. Now it's up to 13. That's one of the best marks we have seen in the uh, top 247 why does that matter that means he is pushing the ball down the field you're seeing the highlights here I mean he is a big framed athlete if you ever spent time around him he, he you could be convinced he's almost a defensive end or a tight end he adds that element he is a true dual threat talent we saw him at the elite 11 finals I kind of had a a five-star grade on him you know he wasn't in the five-star range for us that top 32 Uh, And then at the elite 11 finals, it was an up and down performance, but I don't think we expected him to thrive in that setting. He's raw as a passer. I mean, he can rip it, but he, he left, he showed enough where we're like, okay, let's see what he does here as a senior. And he has checked off after box after box. I mean, again, just improvement. We wanted to see it under the lights on Friday nights. Cooper mentioned the senior seasons. Why is that so important? But you can't simulate like the live action and the live bullets. Uh, and DJ Lagway has has passed those tests. I think if you're a Florida fan, you know you need to be fired up about the, the the addition of DJ Lagway. He keeps showing up in the swamp, right? I think he was there over the weekend for the the win over Vanderbilt, doing some recruiting for the Gators. That's big. Uh, is DJ Lagway going to start year one? I don't think so, but he's dynamic enough as an athlete where they could. Get some situational packages. Maybe he could unlock some things for that offense. I always go back to when Tim Tebow was first in Gainesville. I mean, they they slowly worked him in and, and with Chris Leak, and he had his own package, uh, packages. I think they could do the same thing with DJ Lagway. So it's just been impressive. He's got the, the, the physical clay, and he's really taken a step forward here as a passer, and he's one of our highest-graded quarterbacks behind the scenes at 24-7 Sports. I mean, you watch the film and you think about what he could be at some point down the line, and he's starting to inch in that direction, which is certainly positive.
1: Ivins, what what, what are you seeing from him that has led to that in, in, increase in his completion percentage? Is he just more accurate with ball placement or is it anticipation or or both? What What has been the real key for him to make that leap from junior to senior year? I think he's a little bit kind of more
0: relaxed and confident in his arm. You know, early on in his career, he was kind of a, a fastball thrower, which makes sense given his his bas, uh, or excuse me his baseball background. And this is a kid that could have played collegiate baseball at a number of different schools. I think LSU was one of the first programs that offered him. Houston had offered him. I mean, there's a clip out there when he's in eighth grade like destroying a plastic chair with like an 89-mile-per-hour fastball. So, uh, you know, I, I think with him there's been a little bit of maybe overcoaching, you know, a ton of different kind of uh, voices in his head. Uh, and he's just trusting himself and uh, he can create like his ability to, um, you know, extend plays once the pocket breaks down is is so notable. So I, I, I think it's all those things. Um, something that's not talked about enough with quarterbacks is just the ability to be. A winner, You know, to figure things out, you know, to face adversity in win games like a lot of schools want that in their signal caller. We value it here at 24 seven sports. So you, you see him 10 and 10, right? The past two years, that's a 500 record. It was one of the worst of the class of 2024 quarterbacks. And now as a senior, he's seven and zero. I think that says that says a lot about how his game has evolved Um so uh, a a combination of things. But I think the biggest is he's starting to believe in himself.
3: DJ Lagway could be the most pivotal recruiting win this cycle for any program. For them to beat Lincoln Riley in USC, to beat Dabo Sweeney in Clemson, to pull him away from Jimbo Fisher in Texas A&M and uh, get him on campus so much and just the potential that he has for a program that is trying to come back to national prominence We love the traits. We love the ability when all said and done. This could be the most pivotal recruiting win in the 2024 cycle.
1: Steve, another potential pivotal recruiting win. We'll go ahead and take this listener question uh, from Kyle R. in the chat. Kyle. Everybody er, are chatting and and saying what's up. Uh, He says, Does Missouri land any of the big visitors they had this weekend? Obviously, they had a huge crop in, disappointing final result, but a pretty thrilling game nonetheless, and, and a great atmosphere there against LSU. What? What's say on that? Anybody you really like their chances to land from that group?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Let's just start with five-star receiver Ryan Wingo, number two receiver in the 24-7 sports recruiting rankings. I believe he's number seven. Overall, nationally, this is a recruitment where I've loved Texas. I've liked Missouri. I've liked Texas again. And I'm starting to like Missouri again. Back on campus, saw Missouri beat Memphis. Luther Burden's leading the nation in receiving. He's from St. Louis. But it's not just the Luther Burden show. Mookie, Mookie Cooper had a big game. Theo Weiss, Coach Coach Moore's offense, Coach Peelers' track record of developing receivers, Coach Drinkwitz—that's a head coach that just recruits his ass off as well. It love, you know, loves the vision of Missouri. So I think it's it's trending in the right direction for Ryan Wingo. When you go from there, you got. Jeremiah McClellan, top two four seven receiver currently committed to Ohio State. There are people that spent time with Jeremiah Jeremiah McClellan over the weekend that think there's a chance he does not sign with Ohio State. Now it's awfully hard to flip a receiver from the Buckeyes. Um, but seems like it's something to monitor. He's been to Oregon, now he's at Missouri. Uh Isaiah Mosey in the 2025 class, Jackson Cantwell in the 2026 class. Those are guys that Missouri is going to recruit the hell out of. So they had some elite prospects on campus over the weekend. They're in great shape with all of them. They're five and one big opportunity on the road in Lexington this weekend to uh, keep it rolling. And and I think that they're going to ultimately keep it rolling on the recruiting trail. Ryan Wingo is one where they continue to pick up momentum with.
1: I, I'm glad you said that, man. Like I, I see some of these, you know, quote unquote, hot seat lists, not from our network, but from some, from elsewhere. I'm like, what, in what world is Drinkwitz? I mean, he's consistently making bowl games with Missouri, and ha- has them in contention for people like to five-star hold their recruits. More
3: accountable than they hold themselves.
1: Can I? Just, yeah, I'm. I'm glad I'm not not crazy. Okay. Yep. Maybe Can I just, I, I just add on? I mean, I was that. watching that game on on
0: Saturday, right? Obviously, Ryan Wingo in the stands, so that's that's in my head. You mentioned Luther Burden, uh, Theo Weiss, what they're doing, but it, there was some, also some like freshman pass catchers out there: Marquise Johnson, Daniel Blood, uh, Brett Norfleet got a touchdown. I think that's important in this era like you have to play freshmen and those aren't guys that were necessarily blue chippers and making impact plays against LSU and not to nerd out you go up and down Missouri's 2024 recruiting class like I don't think we are giving them kind of enough credit like that staff has made some really good evaluations in in Florida and Georgia like I'm excited I, Blake Baker the defensive coordinator there he's been on our podcast you know, front, front of the show. Like, uh, yeah, I think it's crazy, the, the hot seat talk. And Kudos to LSU.
3: I mean, everyone writing them off. People like to just write people off to Bud's point to, for them to show, hey, we got a culture over here, man. It ain't, hard, it ain't easy to win every Saturday now. If it was, everybody would do it. But for them to bounce back and win a game on the road, against a very tough matchup for them. I mean, their defense has not been playing well. They don't play well early in the game. But they're able to make some adjustments and do some things to give them a chance to win at the end, and their defense makes a play to seal it after Daniels played incredible all day. That was a fun football game to watch. I know a lot of people. Uh, Red River was on too, and Red River was great, and that it was just an awesome noon slate uh, going on there. Brent Venables he gave his staff the day off the next day. Coop, uh, so Brent Venables take take good Sunday man. off after good winning man. Red River. Man, there was uh, that was that was a good that was that was cool.
1: They they play so hard. Like like Oklahoma is just hair on fire. Like that, that was did, – did you guys see the, the clip of Rouse blocking two dudes?
3: Dude, Oklahoma's offensive line coach, Bill Ball. If, if there's people better at their job than him, there's not many. And when you talk about like offensive line recruiting, offensive line evaluation, if the offensive linemen pick a school where the, the, where offensive line development is important, where there's a track record of it, Chances are you're going to maximize your ability. And what goes into that is an offensive line coach that, first of all, understands how to teach fundamentals so that you can be fundamentally sound on each snap. But then also having an understanding of the play call and what your role is within that. Because sometimes when you're drinking beers with offensive line coaches at conventions and they're telling you they don't quite understand the, just what the play call is. And, 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 you know, so getting everybody on the same page. And so, places like Michigan, it's easy to see why their offensive line is simpatico with everything that's going on, and they get the best out of it. Or Oklahoma, they got three more pros, potentially four more pros, on their offensive line, and it's because it's system proven.
1: We have one here from Daniel Garrett in the chat, and this is what I'm personally interested in as well, uh, Cooper. What is the beard care routine? <laughs>
2: Changes week to week, man. I sh- I shaved it uh, shaved it a couple weeks ago and uh yeah just letting it grow back i mean nothing crazy you know i got kind of like the uh the moisturizer so it doesn't have like the doesn't get dry i think you know a thing or two about that but i I mean you you, you gotta look good man
3: time flies because i thought you were clean shaved four days ago i was like damn we got two weeks ago two weeks ago i'm back (laughs)
1: love it Is, is it kind of like you know yeah you got you got to trim it back and it grows back perfect okay all right, back to recruiting here. We'll, we'll get you guys out of here on this one. It's been a whole lot of fun. I really appreciate everybody joining. And appreciate everybody hitting thumbs up and like in the chat. Uh, let's go ahead and take the one from uh, LSU uh, versus Far. You said previously the 2024 recruiting class is a bad year for tackles so far. Uh, what are some of the other positions that are notably strong? Or let's just go with the strong. Let's let's end on a positive note. Like the positions in this class that we do think are strong compared to the average year.
0: Uh, Wide receiver, <laughs> tight end, I would put just pass catchers in general. I know Cooper is going to agree with me there. Um, it seems like we continue to find guys we like. Not only, again, just wide receiver, I think tight end, like these are the years to, to need those positions. Coop, what else, what else would you say? Or Steve, what else?
2: Yeah, I think the, the receivers is interesting because what? I think we have seven right now in the in, in the top 32 so what we would project as um you know first round draft picks and you know the other part about this which is interesting but like we're a big fan of nycar nycar just committed to miami we got nycar as the number 24 receiver in the country you know and i think for us every time that that conversation comes up whether you disagree or not with the evaluation which everybody has their own opinion they're entitled to i there's logic to why those 23 guys ahead of them are ranked where they are. you know. So this is a super deep class. It's It's got some fun guys. I mean, you talk about guys like Draylon Miller, right? Probably going to be the number three guy in A&M's receiver class. When you think about it, they got Cam Coleman, they got Terry Bussey, and then Draylon Miller's just sitting there in the top 150, kind of has this uh, utility guy that you can use out of the backfield in the slot and do a lot of different things with. So that's a super deep room. I think the thing that kind of sticks out to me is, The beef, you know, like on on both sides of the line of scrimmage a little bit. We talked about the offensive line. There's only one tackle in the top 32, Drew. I think you said three three tackles overall in the top 64. So that's a class that, you know, going back to what Andrew said about Georgia, you understand what they're doing, right? And I I don't think it's as much about taking away the mass from everybody else as in terms of let's get these guys in our building and let's develop these guys because even if you miss – On those type of guys that give you size and functional athleticism, they still give you depth, right? So I think when you got those guys in state, that's important. And then you talk about Georgia, like I think this means something. If if Georgia's able, even if they don't, it says a lot to me that Georgia and Miami, even though he's one of the best players in the country, got to go all the way out to California to go get a guy like Aiden Breland, right? It it just kind of goes to show. And the other guy whose whose stock is shooting through the roof, you can talk about the player a little bit, but in terms of the recruitment. Everybody in the in the country who's anybody wants L.J. McRae, right? So I think these defensive linemen, these offensive linemen, another point, NIL. Listen, if my son was a talented offensive lineman, which will never happen, right? But let's say in the world that it did, I would say, hey, let's go through this process. But from an NIL standpoint, you know, if you want to get the best bang for your buck, let's drag this thing out all the way to December because Andrew brings up the point all the time. I think we're at like 93, 94% of the top 247 is committed. They're off the board, right? So if you are a guy like Breeland, if you are a guy like McCray, if you are one of these tackles that hasn't committed yet, that market is going to come to you, you know? So I think that's pretty fascinating to kind of watch that play out as well.
3: Well, to your point, and when you're talking to sources behind the scenes, and we'll give a bonus nugget here to end. The two most talked about prospects, I think, behind the scenes are LJ McRae and Jordan Seaton. Those are two of the most sought after players in the country. No brainer, no question marks on those two guys. Now there there are other prospects that you people get nitpicked behind the scenes, but Jordan Seaton and and LJ McRae those are two of the most coveted players in the country for what they're doing now. And then what they could potentially be down the road—they're having great senior years. And LJ McRae—it's coming down the coming down the wire. It was just that Florida State this past weekend, Georgia. Uh, until someone tells me different, I give Georgia the edge. But Florida Gators right there in the thick of that one for LJ McRae. Um, Miami battling all his families from Miami—they're they're in there. And then Auburn—that new staff. Auburn's done a terrific job of, of juicing up the talent level over the last two recruiting classes. They're in the thick of it. And then Jordan Seton was also just at Florida this weekend. If the Gators could land LJ McCray and Jordan Seton to go along with Lagway and what's already in the fold, which I think they've recruited the front seven, very excellent difference makers in the secondary. But you got Tennessee rising up with Jordan Seton. Colorado's gotten them to campus. Ohio State was a one-time favorite, going to get them back in November. Alabama's the current favorite. Oregon's in there. Those are two of the more fun recruitments to follow here. LJ, Andrew talked to him recently. Uh, he told Andrew he doesn't have a bad decision, so he's struggling to get it down to one. And then Jordan Seaton, I still feel like his recruitment's ramping up, man. He's he's still out there taking visits and, and learning about these programs. That trip to Tennessee a couple of weeks ago was his first time in Knoxville. He's expected back. So those are two uh, recruitments that I think are exciting. I couldn't really tell you where uh, Jordan Seaton's going to land other than he has said Alabama's his leader. And I would maybe give the inch to Georgia right now for LJ Well,
0: What's interesting yeah. about those two, Steve, is like both are having excellent senior seasons, right? We talked about that, hey, the senior seasons. I think we forget that these are 16-, 17-, 18-year-olds where they physically mature. LJ McCra- McCray had three sacks as a junior. He's like tripled that here as a senior. Jordan Seton used to be 340 pounds. Now he's 289 pounds, hitting 17.7 miles per hour on – on the catapult so again just kind of further hammering in that these senior seasons are certainly important and and you you brought it up earlier like schools are going to get out that spatula because they have personnel departments they're 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 watching the same senior tape cooper brought up georgian safety Uh, guard your safeties
3: they're looking (laughs) they're going to flip a safety
1: all right guys if I'm going to bang on Mario and Jimbo and Lincoln Riley for, for clock mismanagement over the weekend on, on the Monday show, i I got to throw the flag on myself here. I mean, we're we're 12 minutes over. That's on me for planning out four segments, and I, I should have known we'd run a little bit long. So, uh, Chad, you you can, you can bang on me for that one. And I really appreciate everybody coming on. Steve, Coop, Ivan, it's been a good time, man. We'll, uh, we'll do this again in two weeks. Thanks, bud. Thanks, bud.